We're so grateful to have you with us as we continue on to part two of our message series. And this message series is titled, Renovations. Take a look at the back of your bulletin for some more information about this series. And this series is about renovating the church. No, not renovating this building, but renovating our understanding of church, our idea of church, our concept of church. We need to take a close look at our idea of church and decide what what can we keep, what needs to be thrown out, what's worth salvaging, what are we thinking about church, what makes sense and what doesn't, what lines up with what Jesus says about church and what doesn't, and the parts that don't line up with what Jesus said, we throw them away. And so this is a series about renovating our concept of church. Now, as I discussed last week, all of us, whether you're a church person or not, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us carry around with us a concept of church. And that concept of church is based just about 100% of the time, it's based solely on experience, right? Your idea of church begins with your experience in church, and sometimes it ends with your experience in church. Yes, sometimes people are willing to dig deeper and see what Jesus had to say about church, but for so many of us, those of us in this room, those of us worshiping online, those of us who live in this community, for so many of us, our concept of church has been entirely based on experience. That's problematic, Because what if our experiences, whether they're good or bad, what if our experiences don't line up with what church was always intended to be? Church, it's not a building. It's not an event. It's not a club for Christians. It's certainly not that. Church, as we discussed last week, it's much bigger than that. Church is not a programming. Yeah, there's programming. Yeah, there's events. But it's none of those things. Church is bigger than any of the things that make up the church. The church is a movement. And that's, that's the foundation that we need to hold on to. Church is a movement. It is the movement of Jesus Christ in this world. This movement belongs to Jesus. And in this movement, we find hope, we found, find purpose, and we find salvation. In the movement of Jesus Christ, this movement we call church, we find hope. We find purpose in this world. That's so valuable to do something worth doing in this life. It's found in this movement called church. And of course, salvation, eternal life is found through this movement. And so last week we focused on that and really talking about what you might call a capital C or big church, the global movement. And today we're going to focus in on local church or lowercase c, local churches. Like this is a local church, part of a bigger thing. Last week I shared with you that uh, in my late teens and into my early adulthood, I'd made a decision that church was not necessary for me in my life. Again, I was carrying around this idea of what church was, and I thought church was like a building or an event or a club or stuff like that, and I just didn't see the need for it in my life. So I thought, well, I can be a Christian, I can hold on to my salvation, and I can just do my own thing because I don't see the need for church in my life. And so I became uh, what some people refer to as de-churched, right? That's somebody who grows up in a church and then becomes an adult and leaves, the de-churched. Some of you were in that category at one point in time. You had a church thing in your past, you were forced to go to church as a kid, and then you got to a certain point, you can make decisions for yourself, and you become, boop, boop, de-churched. Right here, in this community, we have lots of people that fall into one of two categories. Unchurched, no church experience whatsoever, or de-churched, all right? Think about that. Your circle, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, they're either unchurched or de-churched. Well, for a season of... I was de-churched. Again, I didn't see the need for it. I was like, I can be saved. I can do my own kind of Christian thing and not need church. I just don't need it. I don't see it as being necessary. So here's what happened. I spent only two years in that category of being de-churched before I returned back, okay? Two years. 
There's a long story of how I went from being the church to coming back to church, but let me tell you in one word what brought me back to the church. Hardship. All right? Trials. Struggling. Suffering. Okay? And so here's the deal. It wasn't as if I left the church and then I did some studying on what church is supposed to be and then with this new profound understanding, I'm like, I got to get back to church. That's not, that's not what it was. That's not what it was at all. What brought me back to church is that after two years, I experienced a series of hardships and I was looking for some support, looking for answers, and I went back to the church. And so those two years, and for some people, you've got a very similar story to me. Maybe it wasn't two years for you. Maybe it was two decades for you before you went back. But sometimes, a lot of times, that's what drives us back to local church. Hardships, difficulty, sadness, stress, something going on in your life, and you just feel like, I need something more than I can manufacture on my own. I need something. And I couldn't really tell you what it was I was looking for when I went back to church. I couldn't put a word to it at that time, but I was looking for something. And so over the course of those two years of being de-churched, those two years of being away from church, of course, I was trying to do my own version of Christianity without any kind of accountability, without any kind of support. And so you enter into that de-churched life trying to hold on to your faith, trying to hold on to your salvation, trying to hold on to your Christianity, and you make all these little bargains with yourself. You say, okay, as a Christian, I know there are certain things I shouldn't do, but guess what? Nobody's watching but God. And so I feel like I can cross certain lines, you know, there's drugs out there and there's alcohol out there and there's certain things that I'm never going to do as a Christian. Then you start to make those little compromises with yourself, right? And you have those relationships and you start dating and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, I know there's certain things I'm not supposed to do. And then you start making those compromise after compromise after compromise because there's no accountability. And you just figure to yourself, you shrug your shoulders and you say, well, you know, I'll just ask God for forgiveness afterwards, right? It's that easy. Two years of living like that. And by the end of those two years, I did not look like a Christian at all. If you had looked at my life and what I did and how I talked and who I interacted with, there's nothing about Jesus in my life at that point in time. And so after those two years, there I was. And to try and make a very long and boring and complicated story short, I was at a point where I lost my job, I got dumped, I dropped out of school, and I got kicked out of my apartment. All right? Two years being on my own, and that was, I mean, that's just, it's just, it was humiliating, right? Because I left the house at 18, and I wanted my story, you know this story? I wanted my story to be, I'm the guy that made it. I'm the guy, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I strutted out the door, and I'm going to be a big man now, and then two years later, I'm coming back home, right? And it's moments like that that you realize who your real friends are when you end up kicked out of your apartment. Um, Losing your girlfriend, losing your job, losing all, dropping out of school. It's moments like that where you realize who your real friends are. And you know what I realized? I didn't have any real friends. What was it? Not that long ago, Corey stood up, gave his testimony, talked about your hardships, Corey. Being injured severely, having that accident. Who came to see you, right? It's when you find out who your real friends are. And so there I was, and this is embarrassing. So I'm going back home, 20 years old. I made it a total of two years on my own, have to come back, realize I don't really have friends, and so I went to church looking for something. So I went to church looking for something. My time there at church led to me volunteering at church, so me volunteering at church led to me taking on a part-time job, working with the youth at that church, and taking on that part-time job led to me realizing how ill-equipped I was to have that job at the church, and that realization that I was ill-equipped led to me going to Philadelphia Biblical University 
And eventually that led to me getting another job at another church, Bethlehem Church in Thornton. So I took a job there working as the director of children's ministry. And on my first Sunday, somebody walked up to me from the staff committee and said, by the way, we're going to call you a pastor. You're going to be a pastor now. Not a director, but a pastor. And so that's how this thing happened to me, right? And that's how it happened. So there I was. You know, eventually I would go on to, to, to seminary, but before that time I was there, it was my first month as a part of this church, and um, I realized that this church that I was working for, they had a lot of small groups. I lost track of exactly how many, but like 15, it was a congregation of 280, 300 at that time, and they had all these small groups and Bible studies, and depending on how many groups you count, I mean, if you count a youth group and all that, and the children's groups, you probably had closer to 20 groups happening at this church. I'm thinking, what is the deal with all these small groups that they have. And so this was new to me. This was not part of my experience. And, um, you know, according to my thinking about church, I didn't realize that this is how church can be and perhaps how churches should be. And so both myself and the senior pastor of the church were new to the church. He just got hired a few months before I did. And so the executive pastor sat us, sat us both down and gave us a book. Gave us a book by Andy Stanley and Bill, uh, what's his name? Bill Willits, I think his name is. So he gave us a book by Andy Stanley. I'm like, who's this Andy guy? I don't know. I've never heard of this guy. So he gave us this book about creating community. And we did a study together, those of us who are pastors. We did the study on this book. And through this study, we realized that church is supposed to be a community. Church is supposed to be, and here's the, here's the term that we used, an authentic Christian community. And reading that book, that's, that became, you know, that was the beginning of my love of Andy Stanley. I went on to read a lot of his other books. But that was it. Understanding that church, local church, yeah, there's the movement. But then there's the local church. And we are supposed to be an authentic Christian community. An authentic Christian community. And so my first month working at that last church, we hopped on a plane. We went out to Saddleback Church, which is where Corey was baptized. How about that? We went out to Saddleback Church to learn more about small groups, to learn more about the centrality of community, that churches are supposed to be a community. And I'm realizing something for the first time. I mean, I made my way. I got my undergrad from Philadelphia Biblical University, and I somehow missed this whole thing about church. It's supposed to be a community. How did I miss this? It just makes sense. And we believe that a local church is a community not because Andy Stanley says it, but because when you look back to the Bible of how the church started and what it was and what it was intended to be, what do we see? We see community. We see community, not programming, not a place, not an event. We see that church is supposed to be an authentic Christian community. Authentic as in you're real with each other in, this, in the context of a community. Now, we all understand community to a degree, right? You've got a sense of community with people, and so for so many of us, we, we develop a, a sense of community and maybe growing up in school or going to high school, and maybe you play on a sports team, and you've got a sense of community with your team, right? Or you're in the choir, and you, all of you are, are performing together, and you spend so much of your lives together, and you're, you're in the, the drama team or whatever it is. That's, that's really our first taste of community outside our family of origin, right? is being a kid and being a part of some kind of club or some kind of team or some kind of group, and you feel like, hey, we're all in this together. And that's what community can be like. But the church, the local church as a community is, is much more profound than that because what we share is not just a common interest and what we share is not just a common goal like, hey, let's go win a game or let's go perform a show. It's bigger than that. We share this mission that God has given to us to be His movement in this world. The movement through which we find salvation, through which we find hope, through which we find purpose. 
And so this is what church was always intended to be. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take a look at your bulletin. One of our favorite passages. Acts chapter 2. Early days here. Early days is the first church. This is the first church ever. Jesus has told his disciples about this movement. He hasn't really told them much about it. Just going to say, you're going to be my people. You're going to be this movement. It belongs to me, but you're going to be it. People that make up the movement, you are the church. And so what happens is Jesus is crucified. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And on this day of Pentecost, this celebration where the Jewish people would celebrate the harvest, so many people were gathered together. And the apostles, you know, the disciples, now they're called the apostles, the sent ones of God. Peter, he stands up and he gives this message. It is really the Holy Spirit's words. And so many people realize, so many Jews realize, some of the same Jews that put Jesus on the cross, they realize, whoa, this really is the Messiah. Jesus really is the Son of God. And so that's how that first church starts within this community, this larger community of Jewish people. People start to realize, oh, wait, Jesus really was and is the Son of God. And so they're baptized, and then we have the very first church ever, which, by the way, was made up of thousands of people. So think about that. I know nowadays some some Christians are very weary of big churches, but the very first church was big. That's all I'm saying, okay? So we have the very first church, and what we see here in this passage is a description of what this church was like. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And so that word apostle, it means the sent one. You had the disciples of Jesus, and essentially to make it easy, the disciples just became the apostles. Now I'm sending you for a special work. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Well, I guess fellowship is a good thing. Having a common bond, doing stuff, spending time together. Fellowship and to the breaking of bread. I hope they wash their hands first, or at least use hand sanitizer. Come on. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone, this is a general description of what church, the first church looked like. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Wonders, signs. Are we talking about supernatural stuff? Are we talking about miracles? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and many Christians, and I include myself in that number, we believe that during this, this launching point of the church that the Holy Spirit was especially active in the church. He's still active now. But there was a special season where miracles were done on a more accelerated level there. Miracles can still happen, and we've seen them happen here. We've seen lots of miracles as a church. So wonders were being performed. But even beyond the supernatural, just what we're about to read here, just when we see people getting along and taking care of each other, that is profound in its own kind of miracle. And so they see these signs, these wonders being performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They, listen, come on, man. They sold their stuff. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had in a need. How about that? How radical is that? You know, sometimes we read these passages, oh, it's the Bible times and people were different back then. People were just as greedy then as they are now. People are just as, as, as not inclined to give away their income as we are now. We don't just give our money away, right? Stuff we work for, stuff we earned. Like, well, listen, I've got more than I need, and there's a person over here that has a need, so I'm going to sell this thing, and I'm going to give to them. That simple. Why were, they do- why were they doing that? Because they were following the teachings of the apostles, and of course the apostles were teaching the teachings of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Love one another. If somebody has a need, you take care of them. If somebody has a need and you're able to meet that need, guess what you do? 
You meet that need. What do we see? We see needs being met. Here it is. Soul property, possessions to give to anyone who had any. And every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, this was before the temple kicked them out and said, listen, this whole Christianity thing, this is different. You can't be here doing this. And so they were in this public space in the temple courts. They didn't have a building that they called church because church is not a building. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. And so what do we see? Large gatherings in the temple courts, smaller groups happening in homes. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Wow. You know, this has been such a tough season for, for everyone in this world, right? And it's certainly been a tough season for us as a church. And when I read about this, what if, oh man, what if I got to be the pastor of our congregation that all had glad and sincere hearts? Whoa, what would that be like, right? We're getting there. We'll get back to that. Glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Thank you, God, for this community. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for this purpose. Now we're helping each other out. Now we're not on our own. Now we've got this community. Now we've got a network. Now we've got support. Praise God. We were alone, stumbling around in darkness. Now we have clarity. We have focus. We have purpose. And we have eternal life. Of course they were praising God. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Does the church, the modern-day church in America... Do we enjoy the favor of the people outside of the church? Do they look at us and say, oh, I wish we were more like you? How do we get that? How do we get back to that? Well, I think the answer is simple. We just live out being a church in this way because guess what? This is appealing because at that time you had people. Maybe some of those people had a belief in God. They thought, well, I've got my belief in God and I've got my religion, but I don't have what those Christians have. I've got my beliefs and I've got my faith and I've got my list of here's the things I think I should do to be a good person. Here's the things I know I, I can't do if I'm going to be a good person, but I don't have what they have and I want what they have. This, this is appealing. I, I want this. I want to be in a network like this. I want to be in a community like this. I want to be supported. I want to be encouraged. I want to hear truth from the apostles. I desire this. This looks good to me. This appeals to me. And people were coming in from outside because it was so magnetic. Is the church magnetic today? Is it? <laughs> it can be if we live out church in this way. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen to that. What do we see here? And as we go on with the rest of the book of Acts, hey, guess what we see in the book of Acts? We see that this very first church, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. They had to work through their issues, right? And there was complaints that happened. Hey, this person's not, this person has more food than that person over here. Okay, okay, let's manage. And then you deal with the problems as they come up. Okay, it's not all sunshine and roses in a church, is it? No, it's not. But they work through it together as one community. And we go into the rest of the New Testament. What do you see? These local churches popping up. These local little communities of people selling their stuff, giving it to each other, supporting one another. <gasps> A beautiful, beautiful thing. Hey, guys, don't you want that? Don't you want community like that in your life? Don't you want that to be a part of something where you're supporting, you're encouraging, you have, and you know that your needs are going to be met? Don't you want that? Yeah. I thought at least one person would say, yeah, all right? Maybe somebody out there is saying, yeah. 
But let's be honest about this whole community thing. Community is tough. Community can be difficult. Let me give you two reasons why, okay? Let me give you a simple one. First, it's just a matter of personality types, right? Some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. You know the deal, right? That's just how it is. God's made us in different ways, and I know that's a very broad category, but some people are extroverts, and they like being around other people, and they get all energized, right? Let me get around other people and get my energy. That recharges my battery, being around people, right? And then there are introverts. It's not that introverts don't like people, necessarily. It's that introverts get drained being around people, drained and drained and drained, and they got to go be by themselves to charge up again, and then they can go be with people again, okay, right? And so here I am at Bethlehem Church learning all this stuff about how the church is supposed to be a community, and I have, as an introvert, a very mixed response to this. Because on the one hand, I feel like, this is awesome. Church as community, this, is, this makes sense. And when I look to the New Testament, this is what church was always supposed to be. This is wonderful. Hang on. This is challenging. <laughs> if I'm going to be a member, if I'm going to really engage in community, then I've I got to bust out of my comfort zone in a pretty major way here as an introvert. And by the way, I'm like a ninth degree introvert, which is a category I made up. But don't try to out-introvert me. You will lose every time the challenge is thrown out there, okay? But as an introvert, I'm reading this, and this is really going to push me to a place that's very uncomfortable. But on the other hand, it's useful. It's necessary. It makes sense. It's what church was always supposed to be. And so that's one simple reason. That's one simple reason why people have a tough time. Like, well, okay, community, but oh, I'm going to push me out of my comfort zone. I'm an introvert and all this stuff. That's one simple reason why. But what's the bigger reason why we are hesitant as believers to engage in this kind of community? You know it. You know, all of us, all of us believers, We've got these dork, dork. (laughs) We're dorks is what I'm trying to say. We're all dorks. Let's close in prayer. I was trying to make a profound point. Sometimes it doesn't work, right? We have these dark corners in our lives, don't we? These dark spots. And yeah, some, some, some of those corners are about sin, right? We've got some sin issues if you want to think of it that way. You know, when we're not connected in community, when we're not engaged in community, you know, we can keep other Christians at an arm's length, right? And we can live out Christianity the way we want to. If there are things that we know we're doing on our own, we can kind of like, you know, as long as I'm just kind of showing up at a place on a Sunday morning and not really engaging in community, I can kind of do my own version of Christianity and I have to let people know what I'm struggling with, what I'm sinning, what I'm doing. I know I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing, but I just got to keep people away out of my life so I can deal with that on my own. We keep those things in dark corners. But it's not just, it's not just sin issues. There are other things that we keep in those dark corners. There's pain. There's hurt. There's weakness. We don't want, we don't want people to see our weakness. Goodness gracious. I don't, I don't want people to see where I'm weak, where I'm struggling. I mean, to have a real conversation with somebody where I share my pain and how I've been hurt. I mean, don't, so many of us, we just, let's just keep that stuff in the dark corners. Keep it in there. And that's why engaging in authentic Christian community is such a challenge for so many of us. We want to keep those things in darkness. What we see in the book of John and what we see Jesus say is there's this, this idea of light and darkness. And Jesus encourages us to bring these things out of the darkness into the light where we can receive healing and freedom and relief. How much, listen, I'm talking to Christians here, how much time and energy 
do you devote to keeping those things hidden in your life? How much anxiety do you experience by trying to hide your pain, hide your struggle, and in some cases, hide your sin, hide your addiction, hide whatever it is? How much of a struggle is that? Now, I know it's challenging to bring these things into the light. I know it's challenging to bring these things into community, but my goodness gracious, unless you bring them into the light, you're never going to experience relief or freedom from these issues that you're keeping in the darkness. And don't pretend you're the exception to this. We've got these places in our lives, sin issues, pain, struggle, things that we prefer to keep in darkness, but we need to bring them into the light. It's not worth it. It's not worth the anxiety. You know, it's not worth it. We live in a day and age where so many people look, well, you've got to walk around wearing your actual mask, right? Your N95. But before that, before COVID times, we, work, we walked around with masks before COVID. Do you know the masks is? We walked around with masks before COVID, right? The polite mask. The polite facade. You know what that is. You go into the grocery store, and you're checking out, and there's a nice lady there. How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? Great. What are you going to say? Are you going to tell the truth? Well, I'm really struggling today. Thank you for asking. You got time to chat? No! You put on the mask and you go out in public, right? You shouldn't have to wear that mask in church, in an authentic Christian community. This is supposed to be a safe place where we can take off the mask. I don't know how you take off your mask, but for me it's like that. Take off your mask. This should be a safe place to get real with other people. May I? May I get real with you all? I'll tell you a little story. So, um, Christmas time, um, Holly and I, we get some Christmas cards coming in, and uh, <clears throat> I received a wonderful Christmas card for some dear friends, and in that Christmas card, um, they expressed words of appreciation, you know, thank you for your leadership, thank you for leading us through this time, and there was a phrase that was used in that card that struck a chord with me. I said, thank you for keeping your chin up. And I read those words, and I just started to tear up. <laughs> and I passed the card off to Holly. And the reason I started to tear up is because I don't always keep my chin up, and I'm telling you that now. I don't always keep my chin up. This has been a difficult time, and there are plenty of Sundays that I walk off the stage and go into my car, and guess what? That chin goes way down because I'm struggling. I'm struggling, and I know I'm not alone in this struggle. How many months? All these inconveniences, all these hardships, one after the other. And I tell you what I want to be. You know what I want to be as your pastor? I want to be that guy that always has his chin up. No matter what happens, I'm going to push through this because I've got faith, right? And I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to be powerful. But guess what? I don't feel strong. I feel weak. I'm struggling just like you. If you're struggling, you're not alone. Maybe we should stop pretending, right? Maybe we should stop pretending. This authentic Christian community, this should be a safe place where I can admit my weakness to you, admit my struggles to you. Several months ago, I met with our, our leadership, our board of directors, and then our staff committee, and I said, I need to take a sabbatical. I need to take a sabbatical. I need some time off. And I tell you, in my heart of hearts, I want to be the pastor that does not need a sabbatical. <laughs> I want to be the guy that's strong. You know, these other weak pastors, they need to take their time off, but I'm strong. I'm, I'm just not. And so I, I asked for support from our board. I asked for support from our staff committee. And I will be taking that sabbatical this coming summer, end of June, into July, beginning of August. 
And so I asked for their support there because I need a time to reconnect with God. I need some time to, to re, and this is a weird way to put it, but I hope you understand, to re-fall in love with my Savior and to cultivate that love relationship. I need some time. And so I've asked for their support. I'm weak, I need this. I've asked for their support, and I'm asking for your support as well. I need this time. I need this opportunity to get my battery recharged, to re-engage in my walk with the Lord. I've explained it this way to our board and to the staff committee. This is my season right now of playing hurt, to use a kind of a sports analogy, right? The athletes know what I'm talking about, where you're playing a sport, you, just, you need that surgery, but you're just going to, I'm going to play hurt for this season, then I'm going to go re- repair. I'm playing hurt. I'm playing hurt. So we're going to get through this season together with God's help and with your support, and I'm going to take that time off, and God willing, come back, recharge, and ready to go. This is what community looks like. Do you think it's fun for me to share all these things with you, right? <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, right? And I'm not asking you, let's all come up one at a time and share your weakness. It doesn't have to be this large of a setting, but to be able to meet with some friends in the faith, some brothers and sisters in the faith, and say, here is where I'm struggling, to engage in that authentic Christian community, to receive that encouragement and that support that you need. You're only going to receive it if you let people into those dark corners of your life. And so, you have a choice to make. What's your approach to church going to look like going forward? Are you going to keep that facade up, right? Keep that mask on? Keep people at arm's length? Try to keep those things hidden in darkness? That's, that's up to you. Or are you going to step out in faith and get real with your brothers and sisters in the faith? That's up to you. I'll tell you who we are as a church. We are not a building. We are not a club. We are not a collection of programs. We are not an event. We are an authentic Christian community. And that is exactly what Jesus desires us to be. Let's pray on that. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for community. I thank you for uh, this church family. I thank you for the, the support that exists within this church family, this body of believers. And Father God, I pray that you would give us the courage to, to bring, bring the truth to light. Give us the courage to engage in this community. Give us the freedom. Give us the freedom that can be experienced in authentic Christian community. Lord Jesus Christ, we are not content just to be some other church, some other building, some place, some event, some program. We're not content with that. We want to be the church that you have created us and called us to be. Allow us to live into the reality of being an authentic Christian community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.